0: Welcome back to another episode of Coinscrum Markets. I'm Tina Baker-Taylor, and it's a pleasure today to be rejoined again by Baraka Reddy, co-founder of FalconX. Baraka, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Tina. It's great to to have you back. Thank you.
0: Um, so for anyone who might have missed the last time you were on, um, can you just give me a really brief intro about yourself and tell us a little bit more about what Falconex does and the role that it plays in the market?
1: Sure, i happy to do so. So I'm Prabhakar, I'm the co-founder of FalconX. Uh, Falconex is a digital asset trading platform for institutional investors that delivers trading, credit, and clearing solutions in a seamless one-stop shop format. Falconex is also backed by industry leaders, uh, such as Accel, Lightspeed, Fidelity, Coinbase, and American Express. we are based out of the Bay Area, as well as we have a team in India and Malta.
0: Fantastic, great credentials there. Yeah. So um, given FalconX's position in the market, you have some great visibility over the changing behaviors and you know the market personas uh, amongst the participants. And I think perhaps you're a little bit more able to um, move insights beyond being just anecdotal. So let's start by looking at some of the market trends you've identified over the past week or two. Um, what's been going on with mining revenue?
1: Yeah. So if you've noticed, you know last week was an all-time high for miners in terms of the revenue they made, more than yeah. 2017 December peak mania that was. So I think miners hit about 350 million dollars in revenue last week, um, and it's just overall. If you look at it, Jan and Feb have been phenomenal months for crypto miners, and this is good. And if you really need to understand why this is happening, we have to look at the Bitcoin price action, which is we are in a bull market, to the hash rate that's uh, for Bitcoin, right? So you've seen the last few weeks about a sixty-five to seventy percent increase in Bitcoin price versus a fifteen percent increase in the hash rate. So, increasing prices, low hash rate, which means miners are just making a killing in between. Uh, so, our miner clients—they've been reinvesting their profits back into the business to keep, you know, keep scaling their hash rate. It's, it's a great time to be in the mining business right now in the bull market.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it hasn't always been. Um, you know, miners feel the market. I think sometimes. Um, Certainly, equally, maybe more so than investors. So it's good to see them being rewarded for some of those lean months we had. Uh, so we saw some um, pretty major and quite sophisticated exploits um, from DeFi platforms over the last couple of weeks. You know, mm-hmm. Alpha Finance, Wi-Fi Cream were all recently exploited. Um, what what impact has that had on the market overall?
1: Yeah. So we've seen about, I think, $50 million worth of exploits just happen in the past week, right? Mm-hmm. And if you at it overall, we've seen about $150 million worth of DeFi hacks till date, and $50 million just happened in the last week, right? Yeah. We had the Wi-Fi die Vault about $11 million. We had the Alpha Homura and Cream V2 one, which is about $37, $38 million. Um, but the interesting thing is most of them were quick to remediate the attack vector, mm-hmm. and they to resolve these issues, Um, So that's the interesting part that's happening. Like the market's bouncing back very rapidly from these DeFi exploits these days.
0: Yeah, but these exploits continue to happen though, right? So what does this mean for the technology in the long run, do you think? How do we get past this, what feels kind of like ingrained risk?
1: Yeah, good question, Tina. So if you take a step back, you have to understand that most of crypto, most like 99% of it, except for Bitcoin, still in its early experimental stages, right? We're in the very early phase. yeah. And DeFi, even more so, right? We're in the infancy okay. stage. So all of DeFi is just starting off. And any revolutionary game-changing tech that has billions of dollars flowing through it, real money flowing through it, will suffer exploits, right? Okay. Especially the pace at which we're moving. Uh, if you look at exchanges in the early days and look at them now, there's just been tremendous improvements in terms of the number of hacks that are, have been going on and everything, yeah. right? However, what's important to note is relative to the DeFi market cap, which I think DeFi market cap is about $65 billion. And the total value locked in that is, I think around $40 billion. And like I mentioned, the overall dollars exploited or hacked is about $150 million so far, right? Mm -hmm. So the loss ratio is less than 0.5%, which is a very small ratio. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, these exploits, however, will continue to happen in the near future. Um, And the only thing we can do is basically have founders who are starting DeFi projects slightly change their mentality from you know moving fast and breaking things mantra to being a little bit more diligent, thorough, and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Right. Um you have to start using decentralized insurance platforms to protect against the downside scenarios because this will continue happening. Um, you have to think about certified smart contract audits, you know, before launching There's certain small precautions we can take as an industry and I hope you know we start moving in that direction overall.
0: Yeah, at least instilling some best practice, right? Um, and learning as we go, but actually learning and taking some of these um, breaches as a learning experience and and preventing the same things from repeating, I think would be helpful. Um, We've seen a strong bounce back in DeFi assets in general. Um, What stood out to you in the past week?
1: Mm. In the last week, I would say oracles have made a huge bounce back, Tina. So if you look at graph, apr three Chainlink, these have actually seen we've seen a huge resurgence in, in the price action and activity in the last seven days. Mm-hmm. Um, we also saw Wi Fi bounce back. You know, despite its hack, uh, it bounced back fairly rapidly from I think less than thirty k to over fifty k in a span of the last week.
0: Yeah, that mm-hmm. that's a, yeah, that was interesting. So, do you think that the market's just quickly shaken off that Wi Fi exploit and just moving on?
1: Uh, yeah, if you look at the price action, I think after the news came back and uh, news came out uh, of the Wi-Fi Explorer, I think the price dropped only about 10% and then quickly bounced back after the team, you know, sort of addressed the issue. So it's just phenomenal to show, you know, how much the community has trust in Wi-Fi to be able to just overcome these kind of issues. Right. And I think Wi-Fi also did a very good job of, you know, taking the community approvals for increasing the supply and just making yeah. the hack whole. So I think this was addressed in a very elegant manner by Wi-Fi, and I think that just reflects in the price action for them, too.
0: Right. Okay. So let's switch focus a little bit and take a look at some trends um, from the trading desk. So looking at trading activity across the breadth of uh, trading profiles and personas that use FalconX's platform, what differences are we seeing? So maybe, you know, client personas like hedge funds or, you know, your retail aggregators,
1: That's right. So if you look at the last 12 hours, um, hedge funds, we have seen as a persona, they've been heavy ETH buyers, right? Uh, Just lots and lots of ETH buying activity going on with hedge funds. If you look at retail aggregators, so retail aggregators are, you know, just uh, platforms which have retail end-users on the other side, and we interface with these aggregators. Mm-hmm. So we've seen a lot of BTC, BCH, and LTC uh, bystead side activity going on with the retail uh, retail aggregators in the last 12 hours.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. Um, and what about the differences in activity by jurisdiction? Do you have any details around what's, what's
1: hot where? I can see that. So... Uh, it, you know, it's interesting. U.S. and Asia have very different personas. Okay. So in the U.S., like you mentioned, we've seen a lot of, you know, BTC, LTC, uh, buy-side activity. Uh, in Asia, uh, we've sort of seen like a little bit of the sell-side activity going on in BTC, LTC, and a lot more buy-side activity going on for ETH and BCH. So there are slight nuances when, you know, U.S. goes to sleep and Asia wakes up. Um, a few more subtle things, like we've seen a lot more altcoin buy-side activity in, uh, in the U.S., which is new, right? We've seen uh, Atom and other uh, altcoins picking up surges uh, in USRs.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. I think what you, what, what's interesting and what you just said to me too is it, there's some tokens that seem, you know, popular in Asia that don't register at all in the US market. Uh, you know, not register at all, but, you know, not significantly. And then vice versa. There seems to be a lot more, Um, stablecoin sales, it seems like, from the US side than certainly from the the Asia side?
1: Yeah. uh, It's just interesting that's happening. You know, the USRs, you know, especially the hedge funds, they're starting to see USDT, TUSD sell side activity um, a lot more than the Asia side.
0: Okay. So outside of Bitcoin and ETH, what altcoins are getting the most attention?
1: So... In the last week or so, I would say things like Flow by Dapper Labs. Um, we've seen Handshake, we've seen Polkadot, uh, we've seen Avalanche, Atom. There's a lot of interesting activity going on and also for good reason, right? Like they've been making the waves, especially in the new circle in terms of their, uh, their product launches and all of that. So we've seen a lot of activity in these four or five altcoins in the last week.
0: Yeah, indeed. And I think some of these... Um... Tokens, especially kind of in the in the alt DeFi space, like Ave or Flow, you know, we're starting to see products actually being shipped, right? So, you know, I know with with Flow, um, the the NBA NFTs have been super popular. So it's exciting to see some of these projects actually deliver a product, um, as well as um, have their token, you know, perform well. I think.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, so let's focus more on the newer institutional participants that we've seen entering the market over the past year or so. It's been a lot of activity in the last couple of weeks. Where has the growth come from and how do their strategies compare to those that have been in the market for maybe a little longer?
1: Yeah, very good question, Tina. So taking a step back, if, if you look at, you know, say March of 2020 to December of last year, we saw at FalconX, are non-crypto or more like crypto-native institutions uh, and their volumes reduced from like 92% to about 70%, right? So that delta has come from new non-crypto-native institutions that have flooded into this uh, ecosystem in the last few months, right? And what personas are these? They actually come in various different flavors. Uh, And some of them were surprising to us. So we've seen large traditional hedge funds, right? They've been allocating, you know, Bitcoin to their uh, sort of like, Uh, profile as a macroeconomic hedge. Mm -hmm. Then 401ks and IRA providers. Um, You have traditional enterprises who use crypto as a B2B cross-border payment mechanism primarily to lower the cost of transferring uh, assets as well as the time it takes to transfer these assets, Mm -hmm. which is a fascinating use case that we are seeing. Uh, We're starting to see large enterprises. These are public companies, not only in the US, internationally too right? We're seeing hospital chains and all these kind of uh, large organizations with massive balance sheets. And the question is, should we allocate 1% or 5% of our balance sheet to Bitcoin? Just Mm -hmm. fascinating how the thought process has changed in the last uh, few months, right? We're also seeing payment gateways and international remittance companies as different personas are coming in. So, and this trend, it's not a, you know, one-off thing. It's it's a clear trend in our opinion, where we are seeing non-crypto native institutions actually just take over more and more share of the volumes that you're seeing at Fabnex.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I, I get this question a lot. Um, and you are in a really, you know, uniquely well positioned place to, to answer this and break this down for us a little bit more clearly. So looking across the micro strategies and the Teslas and their announcements and you know taking on these these Bitcoin um, balance sheets, positions and um, it's clearly had a role in supporting the price um and you know positive sentiment overall um and it might not have been so obvious that these purchases were taking place when they were taking place mm-hmm. so how does an institution now execute orders that are over a billion dollars um, without forcing the market too far away from them can you explain how that works across the market in general and you know how falcon x in particular has played a role
1: you yeah. Yeah. So, you know, historically, even up to, like, maybe, say, two or three years ago, Tina, it was very difficult to conduct such large transactions. Yeah. Large you've
0: markets. moved the market and
1: priced yourself out. Right. The market infrastructure also was not in place to actually execute such large orders. But I think mm-hmm. we've come a very long way, especially in the last nine to 12 months, and just within Fat Connects too, right? We've executed several $20 million to $100 million plus buy and sell side orders, like, within, like, a few hours. So the infrastructure has significantly improved. Depth of liquidity has also significantly improved. And overall in the market infrastructure also, you know, has gone to a different place. Mm. Now, today, uh, a crypto brokerage like Falcon X can facilitate a $500 million, you know, BTC buy order or sell order within a span of two, maybe three days without affecting mm. the market. Age, okay. Right? Mm-hmm. While actually preserving the privacy and the compliance needed for these large institutions, you know, yeah. taking all that into account, we can it'll take about two to three days. and okay. How do we do it? So, you know, what we focus uh, or our specialization is in in making sure that we provide a white glove service to these large institutions or enterprises that are coming in. So we work closely with them to understand their time frame requirements. What's important for them? Just filling their order or is it price or is it not moving the market too much? Right. Based on that, we are Trading team will execute algorithms like TWAPs and VWAPs to ensure that their orders go through smoothly. And, and we've been successful in doing so multiple times without moving the market as much.
0: Okay. So it sounds like it's about 250 million a day you can now move without causing too many waves.
1: So it depends on, I would say, the depth of the market on any given day. Mm. Uh, two to 5% of the order book or overall volumes. Okay. I think we should be fine without moving the markets too much, right? Beyond that, we'll start seeing significant market activity if these laser orders in one go.
0: Okay, okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, listen, we do have a lot of institutions, um, our institutional players, that watch this show. So, how can they learn more about the services that FalconX offers um, and get in touch with you personally? What, how do you like to to communicate?
1: Great. So. Just go to falconx.io. Uh, there you can just sign up. That's one way. Two, if you want to reach out to me personally, it's pr at falconx.io. You can shoot me an email. I'm also on Twitter. You can reach me out on Twitter. directly. I respond to DMs. A lot of clients just ask questions saying, hey, I'm interested in basically putting Bitcoin on my balance sheet as an enterprise. What should I do? We're happy to help you think through the strategy. Just reach out to us anytime.
0: Awesome. Hey, look, you and I should do a clubhouse chat one of these days because there's a lot of people that want to understand um, what happens at the institutional level. So we should think about doing a Q&A because I think you have a lot of knowledge that um, a lot of people would be really interested to hear. So we should talk about that.
1: I just did one 48 hours ago. I'm happy to do one again.
0: Yeah. How did it go? Did you enjoy
1: it? Yeah, it was great. Like it was like a marathon, you know, it was just like <laughs> people and on, on one just asking questions. I needed to take a break in between because it went on for an hour. Yeah. But it's great, just so much interest in the space. So it's just- amazing. I
0: know, the, the, the interest is really blooming and it's so exciting to see that and be a part of it. pravakar it is always such a pleasure. Um, we need to see you more often. Thank you so much for coming back.
1: Absolutely, Dina. it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome.